You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to season two of Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the '80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we'll be discussing Home Sweet Home, released January 1st, 1981. It was written by Thomas Bush, directed by Nettie Pena, and released by Intercontinental Releasing Corporation. <laughs> Who I think we've had before. It sounds familiar. Sounds familiar. It's familiarly clunky. <laughs> yeah, it's, it sounds like if someone had to invent a company right yeah. on the spot. What sounds legit? Compu Global. Continental Releasing Corporation. Compu Global Hyper Meganet. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, this is a Category 3 Video Nasty, which is the least extreme batch. It seems like this is only the second Thanksgiving horror film after 1972's Blood Freak, which appears to feature a drug-addled, turkey-headed monster of some sort. Though, I think an argument can be made that this is the first Friendsgiving horror film, since only three of the nine guests are related in any way. <laughs> I was confused that it was Thanksgiving, because... I thought it was Thanksgiving because at some point there's a turkey in the movie and right. they're yeah. talking about dinner and they're all like eating dinner in the middle of the afternoon and like, you know, everybody's bringing stuff. It felt very much like a Thanksgiving movie, aside from the fact that it came out in January. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, what happened? <laughs> Just a situation where they missed their window, I guess. <laughs> I don't see how <laughs> this movie was clearly made in, in a weekend. No, well, they spent so much time in post. <laughs> what? What? Need to put this scream in there a few more times. <laughs> and I just need I just need some recording of some guy laughing. Yeah. Just laugh. We open on a parked car just off the freeway. The guy in the driver's seat looks completely wasted in what looks like early morning. And a super buff guy approaches the car and the driver offers him a beer. Hey, you want a beer? <laughs> <laughs> the buff pedestrian chokes the man to death. And yanks him out the driver's side window with ease. And laughs maniacally. Yeah. Muscle Guy hops in the now empty station wagon, and we hear the radio reporting his escape from a local mental hospital for the criminally insane. It's 7 a.m. in Los Angeles, and our top story continues to be the intensive police dragnet for an armed and dangerous escaped mental patient. 26-year-old Jay Jones escaped from the Hobart State Hospital for the criminally insane last night after killing an attendant and leaving a guard in critical condition. Evidently, this man, Jay Jones, was committed for bludgeoning his parents to death. He's also described as addicted to PCP and potentially armed, though we only see evidence of the former charge. Well, so, because he's got a big old knife, but he could have gotten that anywhere. Right. Uh, but the PCP, I'm assuming PCP, injecting it into his tongue? Yeah. Is that how it's... Okay, forgive me for my lack of drug knowledge. Is that how people do PCP? Well, PCP is injected typically. Uh, I Under think it can tongues? be injected anywhere. The, I guess. And he injects it under his tongue by chance. That's what he has chosen. Uh, but as soon as he's got the full load under his tongue, he starts growling like a monster and his hands grip the wheel. And we see a home sweet home tattoo on the back of one of his hands, which I hoped we would just 
push into for the title, but we'll get it later. It's still pretty cool. <laughs> uh, he takes the freeway for a while, but when he gets off in the suburbs, he chances upon an older woman who has dropped her groceries in the crosswalk, and he guns it for her as she bends over to collect <laughs> her things. We see her terrified face in freeze frame just before the moment of impact. And then what looks like cherry-flavored syrup is just splashed across the windshield as Jay laughs yeah. maniacally. The radar, sir. It appears to be jammed. <laughs> we fade to black for the title card here, and then we cut to Scott and Jennifer in a convertible on their way to the ranch, where Scott is apparently renting a room. He is a mm. he's just renting yeah. a room of this house, and he's brought his girlfriend there for Thanksgiving. I, did they go? Because I feel like I figured this out like three quarters of the way through the movie. They don't spell anything out very blatantly. You have to you have to watch it and pay very close attention to get uh, these details. It was difficult to do that. But like I feel like three quarters of the way through the movie he's like, Oh, by the way, I'm renting a room here. Yeah. I, you know, and I was like, Oh, is that how you're connect because I had no idea why he is here. There's still after even paying close attention, there's some people I don't understand why they're here. Uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> these two are both unpopular enough with their own families that they're spending <laughs> Thanksgiving with Scott's landlord, Harold Bradley, and his family and friends. See, I didn't. I, I gave up on trying to figure out all these people's names, and I just gave them nicknames. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. These two are just the uh, the Barbie and Ken characters, but Scott warns Jennifer that Harold just had a record company go down the tubes, but he's an all right guy, and Harold also has a son who she may find amusing. We cut outside the ranch where Harold's son mistake is playing an electric guitar connected to a backpack amp. His face is all painted white, and he's got like black curly hair um he's described in the wikipedia page as a kiss army soldier but i think he's just a loud mime yeah i have <laughs> i have i have a guitar mime yeah <laughs> yeah i mean he acts like a mime because he'll do like close-up magic and stuff like that and 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 be goofy but he do- he talks he sings he does yeah. everything else but he doesn't have any like black markings on his face like no. he's in kiss it's he doesn't just, have a star or right, cat makeup it's just white yeah it's weird, though. Uh, his pissed off father chases him around the yard. I thought that was his brother. See, I, I don't know. No, that's who, his dad. I don't know who any of these people are. Okay, so the three people that are related are Harold Bradley, which is confusing enough that he has a first name for both names. Mm-hmm. His son, Mistake, and his daughter, Angel. Okay. So they're yeah. siblings, Mistake and Angel. Right. And those are the only three people that are related in this whole story. Okay. But so far, we've introduced these other two characters, Scott and Jennifer, who are showing up in a convertible. He's renting a room, and he brought his girlfriend to meet his landlord and his family. Yeah, and just just so everyone's aware, so this is this is fully available on YouTube if you want to watch right. it. But the quality that it's, we it's probably the best quality available. To it watch probably anywhere. is, but it is so so hard to view because it is so dark and black and such a bad transfer they did that- a lot of night for night photography <laughs> well, this is the best quality that this film deserves but yes even the audio is such poor quality it took me half of the movie to figure out that the kid's name was mistake yeah I'm like what are they saying <laughs> mistake i told you to shut that damn thing off Inside, Harold's wife, Linda, or his girlfriend. I'm actually not convinced that they're married yet. I think Linda. I think it's a girlfriend. Linda is his girlfriend and her friend, Gail. So Linda just brought her friend to to Thanksgiving. Is Linda the one who doesn't speak English? No. No. That's a different character. That's Maria. Jesus. (laughs) 
Uh, so Linda and Gail are preparing food in the kitchen. Linda says dinner's almost ready, even though there's nothing on the counters, and she just started peeling potatoes. Jay Jones, our killer, comes barreling down this country road toward the ranch in his blood-drenched station wagon, and he parks it behind a shed before trying hopelessly to hose it down. But the syrup has hardened and crystallized on the hood, so it's not budging as he sprays at it. I, I mean, I think it's funny because everything that this man does in this film, like you think that he's like this homicidal maniac who's high on PCP. Aside from running over the old lady, everything he does is fairly calm and mm-hmm. calculated. Like calm, it's, I think is the wrong word. Well, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying he's not he's not just going around like a, a, a crazy man just going and attacking no, people. No, it's premeditated. Like, it's what pre- he's doing. Yes, yes, that's what I mean. It's premeditated and it's and it's very. Yeah, it's cal- it's calculated. He's yes, just like, this is what true. I'm going to do next, and I'm going to patiently wait to do it. Yeah, I'm going to stand a platform up over here and just wait until morning. <laughs> Linda and Harold move into one of the bedrooms to make out a little. That's Linda, the girlfriend, and Harold, the homeowner. Uh, in the driveway, Scott and Jennifer have decided to just lay down and have sex in the front seat of their convertible, with yep. the top down in the driveway in the middle of the day on Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. Uh, Scott informs Jennifer how much she is enjoying this. Jesus, you're so horny. (laughs) (laughs) Mistake sneaks up on them and starts blasting a guitar solo right in their ears, and Scott chases Mistake away. This is a mistake. A mistake that's about to be corrected. Back in the bedroom, Bradley and Linda continue making out, Mistake lures Scott into the house through the kitchen where they surprise Gail and she tosses an entire bowl of potatoes across the room. Eventually, they burst into the room where Mistake's dad is making out with his topless girlfriend. Mistake is distracted by Linda's breasts and now it's Linda's turn to chase him around the property. So now three people have chased him around the property angrily threatening to kill right. him. Well, he carries around his guitar in his white makeup wearing a backpack of an amplifier? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Scott introduces his girlfriend to Bradley, and he blames Mistake for not introducing her sooner. Rock and roll forever! I'm gonna wrap that guitar on your head until you're dead! We meet the last couple, Wayne and Maria, who seem not to speak each other's languages at all. Maria just sings random Spanish phrases, and I'm convinced that this woman doesn't even <laughs> speak Spanish yeah. based on the way she speaks Spanish in this film. And Wayne is just hypnotized by her beauty. He doesn't care what she's saying. <laughs> Scott tries to introduce Jennifer to Wayne, and who's this lovely bitch? <laughs> That's what I thought he said. <laughs> Is that not what he said? No, but that was for sure what it sounds like he says. Yeah. I can't remember what it is that he says, but when I played it back the second time, I was like, oh, that's not what he says at all. But it sounds so much like he says, and who's this lovely bitch? That's what I thought he said. And I was like, Jesus. (laughs) And and she's like, I think he says dish. Oh. Yeah. (laughs) And who is this lovely bitch? This is Jennifer. I heard Yanni. (laughs) (laughs) What's the other one? Laurel. Laurel. Linda gives up on chasing Mistake, and everyone agrees that that kid needs to go, when suddenly Linda makes an uncomfortable confession to the group. I can't take him anymore. He's gotta go. Really? Definitely. Bury him deep. I'm gonna kill myself. What? (laughs) What does that have to do with anything? Gail offers to poison Mistake herself. 
Maybe I can slip some arsenic in his suit. Hi, I'm Gail. <laughs> that's, that's how she introduces herself to the group. Gail reminds Linda that they forgot to buy wine for tonight, and they'll have to swing out to the store to get some now. Linda and Gail borrow Scott's car, the convertible, because Bradley says that the battery in his car is on the fritz. Before leaving, Linda asks Brad to get the peas started, and he begins his hunt for the peas. <laughs> he finds his four-year-old daughter, Angel, in the kitchen and asks her where the peas are, and she claims to know, but he can't get a location out of her. Killer Jay laughs insanely at a rag he has now used to wipe the blood from the windshield of his car before just tossing it blindly into the distance. He sees Gail and Linda pull out of the ranch and follows them in the station wagon. The two of them talk over each other consistently for almost every scene in this car together, and it's like they can't hear what each other are saying. They're just having two completely unrelated <laughs> conversations on top of each other. Really a bumpy I love it. Oh, yeah, well. Yeah, maybe we can find some guys to make up for the I'm afternoon sure. that I'm, I blew. I'm <laughs> sure we can. Yeah. Oh. But who cares? It gives me a chance to get out of that nut house. Back in the kitchen, Harold is still having trouble finding the peas. Where's the peas? He's checking all over the kitchen counters and then the pantries and spice racks everywhere but the fridge. Where are the peas? Jones parks somewhere down the road, but still on the property, apparently. Like, I don't know how far reaching this ranch is. Yeah. But he begins approaching a random house to a sound alike of the Jaws theme. Back at the main house, Wayne is chomping on a cigar and making bets on the phone. Someone off camera asks if they can fix a drink for Wayne's girlfriend, but he seems to think that she literally won't drink anything. She won't drink anything. She hates to go to the bathroom. What does that mean? I don't know. Presumably this affliction would also prevent her from enjoying a Thanksgiving meal, but who knows? <laughs> like at other people's houses or like She just in doesn't general, go to the bathroom. Yeah. Like any She just anytime. absorbs everything that she consumes. <laughs> we see Jones open a fuse box and flip a switch to kill the power. Wayne is furious to be missing the game that he's betting on, but Harold tells him, oh, don't worry, we have a generator. But it doesn't work on the TV. <laughs> so do worry. So continue worrying. <laughs> also, when who, when there's a power outage, doesn't check their breaker box or fuse box right. immediately. Yeah, that would be like, the first thing you would do before you would waste gas on the generator. Well, mm. But also, usually, wouldn't you come back in to the house? Like, the generator would come back in, like, near the fuse box, right? Right. But it doesn't. Harold offers to turn on the generator and asks everyone to keep an eye on his daughter Angel while he's gone, even though the generator is like 10 feet outside yeah. the house. The generator is just to create a problem to get more people out of the house. Right. Because there's no reason to cut the power if they're just going to have a generator to provide power. It's just to split these people up. Yeah. Harold gets the generator going and all the lights in the house come on, even though it's still midday and none yeah. of them are necessary yet. <laughs> they were trying to make a Thanksgiving dinner, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but I can't work this electric can opener without power. <laughs> Harold tells everybody that they only have enough gas for like three or four hours, so he's going to run down to the gas station. Wayne reminds Brad that he's here to discuss business and to please not waste his time. But we never get a clear idea of what business they have to discuss. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Is it this record business that went under or something? I thought that was over. And Wayne know. is here to discuss business of some sort, but they never, they never go any further in depth with that. Mistake watches his father pull away in the Jeep. Jay seems to be following Harold everywhere he goes and just watching him from behind eucalyptus trees. Harold comes across the abandoned station wagon, 
in his own driveway and he calls out for an owner before deciding to siphon gas from is this other car. Is that what he's doing? I yes. didn't know what he was doing. I was just like, your car isn't working. And I don't know why there's so many cars in this movie that don't work properly. Right. But it's getting real confusing. And then he just goes to this uh, other car, the station wagon, and starts tinkering in the hood. Not in the gas tank. Well, first he's, first he's siphoning gas from right. the car. At the house, Wayne and Maria are about to make out when Mistake jumps in to play more of his guitar at them. Mistake starts hitting on Wayne's girlfriend repeatedly, and Wayne is getting pretty pissed off about it. Having successfully siphoned gas from the abandoned car, which, if you took all the gas, then the car's not going to move, and the person's going to know where the gas went, or they're going to come bother you for gas. And was this gas for his car to get to the gas station? They wanted it for the generator. For the generator. No, he took it for the generator. Yeah. Like, he was like, oh, I don't have to go to the gas station because someone left a car here. I'll just take the gas here. But his car was also not working. Right. But he has a battery battery problem. And so now he can't get the car started. So he decides, hey, there's a perfectly good car that I'm just stealing shit from. And it's not like siphoning where a person will get in a car and realize, oh, I'm out of gas. I must have just been stupid and forgot I was out of gas. Mm -hmm. But if you get in your car and the fucking battery is gone, you're going to know someone took it. And it's got to be someone also close. Weird. But does he need to go anywhere now that he stole no. the gas? No, he was going to go right back to the house. But but he can't because his car won't start now. So he starts digging through the hood to get the battery out ah. so that he can take his car back to the house with <laughs> the gas. so convoluted. But he's at the end of his driveway. He could just walk back <laughs> with the gas. <laughs> just put the gas even back into the station wagon and take the station wagon. Yeah. <laughs> Jones is watching all of this from the bushes and brandishing a hunting knife, but when he sees Harold duck under the hood of the station wagon, he just body slams the hood down and completely (laughs) smashes Harold inside the car. Oh my god, I laughed so hard at this part because I'm just like, why did we just cut to an insert of a knife? We see the knife so many times on the way to this body slam, it's wonderful. Yeah, just like, cut to knife and crushed. Crushed in the hood. And he's literally (laughs) completely flattened like he's empty clothes getting smashed in the hood of this car. He probably was. (laughs) We flash forward a couple hours. It's fully dark outside and Mistake is playing guitar for his sister, Angel. I love you. I love you too. More than your guitar. Yeah, more than my guitar. He starts to entertain her with magic tricks. And after magic, he moves back to guitar solos. And we watch all of this from the POV of someone out the window. This is this was a very uncomfortable scene. Yeah, it's weird. Jay cuts the phone line on the outside of the house. Linda and Gail are still driving around. Apparently, they have the wine, so they made it to the store, and they're on their way back to the house. But they can't find their way back to the ranch. So this is why I was sure that she was just a girlfriend and not the wife. It's like, I literally have no idea where I live. I can't get from the grocery store to my house. So they they... I'm assuming they haven't been dating for super long at this point. Back at the house, people are finally getting suspicious of all the disappearances. Wayne wants to know where Harold has disappeared to. Scott suggests that he may be buying a battery at the local gas station. And Wayne tries to call, only to learn that the phone lines are out. Yeah. So, again, this killer has cut the power, and now he's had the foresight to also cut the phone lines. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and and, and it, I don't I don't understand this motivation to kill these people there is none so that's what i was saying like at first you're like okay he kills the old lady because he's high on pcp everything else he does 
everything else he does in this film is calculated and thoughtful and like and he only kills people when they're separated from the group and Mm -hmm. yeah and he's purposely like planning ahead i'm gonna cut the power i'm gonna cut the phone lines i'm gonna stand by my abandoned car for a couple hours and wait for somebody to randomly come along or i'm gonna hide in the back of this car until someone takes it somewhere yeah yeah he's he's definitely planning these murders Jennifer asks, Has anyone seen Angel and her brother? Please, don't bring his name up again. To be fair, she didn't say his name. She said Angel and her brother, first of all. Second of all, I'm fairly certain his name is not Mistake. That's his name in the credits. I think that's what people call him, but I don't think that's his name. Scott realizes that if the phones are out, that Linda and Gail might have been trying to reach them and failing. This is when we get my favorite line read from Scott. Damn it! I forgot to tell them about my gas gauge. But they've run out of gas. <laughs> Why are there so many things wrong with these cars? <laughs> I don't know, but I just love the way he says it. I bet they've run out of gas. Oh, my gas gauge. Wayne says that he's going to head out and find everyone, and Scott says that he's going to stay here and protect the women. Now you go ahead. I'm going to stay here with the troops. I don't want to leave them here without a man around. Mistake watches Wayne get into his car and drive away, but before he can get to the main road, he is garroted by Jay, who is hiding in the back seat. Scott and Jennifer make plans to sneak away to his room while Angel is sleeping, and Mistake and Maria continue flirting in different languages. Why this kid went to sleep at exactly dinner time on Thanksgiving is not explained. For some reason, Scott has multiple posters for King Kong in his room. I think there's even multiple versions of King Kong <laughs> uh, with posters in his room. We cut to Gail and Linda being pulled over by police for speeding on these pitch black roads. Yeah, you're in. Uh Direct violation of section 22350 of the California Vehicle Code. What's that? Well, uh, speeding. 55 in a 35 mile an hour zone. I actually looked it up, and this is that that's the actual vehicle code for 55 and a 35. No person shall drive a vehicle upon a highway at a speed greater than is reasonable or prudent, having due regard for weather, visibility, the traffic on, and the surface and width of the highway, and in no event at a speed which endangers the safety of persons or property. Linda has her shirt unbuttoned a bunch to distract the cops, and for the whole traffic stop, the cop is shining his flashlight directly at her boobs. I do say that I am impressed if that is the actual traffic code and how much research they put into it, because it doesn't feel like there's that much thought put into any of the rest of the movie. <laughs> I get the impression this was a this was a cop playing this character that was just a friend oh, of theirs. okay, so he just knew. Yeah. <laughs> I doubt they paid someone to get a costume and a vehicle this is probably just like a hey you want to be in a movie we're shooting it this weekend (laughs) yeah they eventually get off with a warning as they leave the cops make disgusting plans to wait for the women to drink the wine that they bought and then arrest them again when they're good and drunk if they finish uh, drinking that wine and we stay out here all night our lucky night yeah did you see the chick with the big bazoons yeah it was closer Bizarrely, Gail and Linda seem equally disappointed not to have scored with these cops just now. Did you see those two cuties? I, it's so weird that both groups are like, did you see the two people that we were just having a conversation with? <laughs> did I imagine that interaction? <laughs> Am I high on PCP? <laughs> what did you inject under my tongue? After the cops leave, Linda is not able to get the car started again, so they decide to walk back to the ranch, <laughs> despite not having any idea which way to go. Maria and Mistake improvise bad music out on the porch. At last we get to make music together, senorita. In his room, Scott and Jennifer are in bed now, 
even though they just finished setting the table for Thanksgiving with everyone else, we see John's POV. John's? Jay's, probably. John Jay, that's the guy's name, huh? No, it's, uh, it's Jay, Jay Jones. Jones. John Jay wrote the Federalist Papers. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking of for some fucking reason. Yeah. <laughs> we see Jay's POV peeking into the house at the meal on the table, and Angel lifts a carving knife to swing it down at the turkey in a stabbing motion. Jones's POV moves inside the house and sneaks right up behind Angel before we cut away. Walking down the road at night, Gail and Linda continue to regret not staying with the cops. I know, but I'll tell you, I wish those cute cops would come by and pick us up now. Oh, right now. Take us into seductive custody. I am frozen. Uh, Scott and Jennifer are looking for Angel and panic when they find that the dinner has been scrambled and smeared across the table. They are further terrified when they find Angel's legs sticking out from under the table. Oh my god. Wow. It looks like the boogeyman has been here. However, we learned in that film that the boogeyman would likely have left mirror shards or something like that behind. <laughs> they assume that she's dead for some reason, but when they finally lift the tablecloth, she's just sitting there eating turkey out of her hands. <laughs> Linda and Gail make it back to the house, amazingly, but they encounter Jay at the end of the driveway, and he lifts Gail and just throws her completely over Wayne's parked car, where she smashes her head on a rock and bleeds to death. That's the end of Gail. Yep, she's done. <laughs> Hi, I'm Gail. Linda runs away, but he catches up with her in the wilderness and beats her to death with the wine bottle that they bought. Good. See, I'm glad. <laughs> Good. <laughs> so she's dead. Well, but I'm also glad that you just you just read that as he catches up to her in the wilderness and kills her because it goes on for like seven yeah. minutes. Yeah, it's a long <laughs> scene, but literally nothing else happened that was remotely interesting. The five surviving Thanksgiving guests dig into the meal. <laughs> there's still five people. Yeah, there's five people alive. Uh, despite the conspicuous absence of four dead people. Like, they're just like, let's just start eating Thanksgiving dinner even though nobody came back yet. Mistake does a magic trick at the table that we last saw in Airplane by taking multiple eggs out of his mouth and then cracking one on the lip of a glass. Alas, no bird flies out this time. Mistake stands to prepare a plate for Maria because she's a child, apparently, and he ends up spilling cranberry sauce on her dress, seemingly on purpose. He walks her to the bathroom in his room, and offers her one of his clean shirts as a replacement. As they leave the dining room, Jennifer cannot help but laugh out loud at all the hilarious-sounding Spanish words coming from Maria. She is so Latin, I don't believe it. <laughs> we hear Jones's deep breathing over his POV. Maria opens the shower curtain in Mistake's bathroom to discover Linda's body beaten to a pulp on the shower floor. Suddenly, Jay is right behind her and grabs her around the neck with a knife to her throat. Mistake finds them like this and begs Jay not to hurt her, offering himself in her place. Other offers Mistake makes in exchange for her release include playing his guitar and doing some magic. <laughs> Neither of which I expect Jones to be super excited about. Please don't hurt her. Look, I'll do anything for you. Please take me instead. Don't hurt her, please. Look, I'll, I'll play my guitar for you. I'll, I'll sing. I'll, I'll do some magic. Please, mister. I love the cartoon logic that this guy's going to pull a couple eggs out of his mouth to soothe the savage breast. Once Jay's dragged her far enough away from the house, he makes a vague reference to mommy issues before stabbing Maria to death. Listen to me. <laughs> <laughs> Women are no good. <laughs> Only cause your problems, man. <laughs> My mother was no good like that! My mother was no good like that! <laughs> what? 
Mistake makes a run for it and manages to lose Jay for a moment in the trees, but his facial makeup isn't doing him any favors out here. <laughs> There's just a floating white head. <laughs> just aim for that with my knife. Just when Mistake thinks he's safe, Jay throws him against an electrical panel and wraps a live wire around Mistake's neck before connecting it to the guitar. This causes by far the coolest image from the film, where the metal strings of the guitar are heated to a bright glow by the electricity coursing through them and eventually snap and curl while still glowing bright orange. I'm not sure there's a way to do this besides actually running the electricity through these guitar strings, but the effect here is pretty awesome, yeah. and it seems like it would have been super dangerous. Yeah, incredibly set. dangerous. Because the actor's clearly right there in the shot with them. Yeah. Jay laughs maniacally at the electrocuted corpse of mistake. I mean, sorry, just to go back. I think there's ways to do it, but not on this budget. Right. Yeah. You no, know, this, like, this one, they definitely just plugged if it you into did, the wall. Yeah. If you did a visual effect, I'm saying you could do yeah. it. But like, they definitely didn't put any budget to visual right. effects here. If they can't afford fake blood, they didn't do that. Now we're down to just Scott, Jennifer, and Angel. We're with them forever. Yes. This is the whole last third of the film. Probably yeah. a half an hour. As Scott and Jennifer clear the table, they wonder where that little girl went that they were supposed to keep an eye on. The lights flicker, and Scott decides that he should collect firewood before it's too dark, since they might lose power soon. Jennifer moves to tuck in Angel for the night, even though she just slept right up until they ate dinner, and she's asleep again now on the couch. Angel, Angel, wake up. It's time to go to bed. Do you have to go to the bathroom? I have to go to the bathroom. Okay, let's get your pajamas on first, sweetheart. Outside, Scott finds Maria's body stabbed to death, and is surprisingly chill about it before eventually freaking out and running back to his girlfriend, screaming her name. Oh, God. What's going on around here? Jennifer! 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 Jennifer is still holding Angel when Scott runs up and tells her that Angel's brother has murdered Maria. <laughs> it's like, or someone else did. I don't know. Somebody yeah. here did it. Oh my God, if he's gone off the deep end, make him after us. Scott suggests they head back inside while he moves around the property to lock the place up. He stresses the importance that the three of them stay together and Angel reminds them with possibly the same ADR that she still has to go to the bathroom. Sweetheart, Jennifer's going to take you inside. They split up. Scott and Jennifer meet up in the kitchen and he asks where Angel is. <laughs> and Jennifer says, well, She's in the dining room by the fireplace. Why, there's not a killer on the loose or something, is there? <laughs> Eventually, they join her by the fireplace, but Scott stands up again immediately to go double-check that the doors are locked. The ones that he just locked, mm -hmm. he stands up to go double-check that the doors are locked. And then when he comes back, he says, you know what, I'm going to go to the pantry and get some candles, even though we're sitting by an open fireplace. And then he doesn't find any... And then he comes back and he says, oh, there's another door I have to... Sh like, they keep giving him excuses to get up and go check things. And every time, he's gone for three or four minutes and he comes back uneventfully. Nothing has happened and he was never even approached by the killer. It's called suspense, Patrick. Is it, though? <laughs> Scott compliments Jennifer's motherly instincts with regard to taking care of Angel. Angel <laughs> announced her alone several yeah. times. Yeah, after they'd agreed not to do that. Angel announces that she has to go to the bathroom, even though she just went like five minutes ago with, no, I think, the same audio. She's never gone. She went once with the girl. Oh, okay. Because we hear her in the bathroom and literally flush the toilet and bring the girl back out into the living room. And then when the girl says a third time, I have to go to the bathroom. 
I'm not leaving this fire. Honey, you just went to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. To be fair, I have done that with Una before. Taking her to the bathroom and like two minutes later, yeah. I have to go to the bathroom. It's just weird that four <laughs> of this girl's five lines in the movie are I have to go to the bathroom. Oh, it might just be you saying they're repeating the line. I'm pretty sure it's the same audio at least a couple of the times. I have to go to the bathroom. Oh. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. I have to go to the bathroom. Sweetheart. Just outside the bathroom, Scott is attacked by Jay and dragged into the dining room. Jennifer attacks him with repeated swats from a wrought iron fire poker. When that doesn't seem to work, she grabs a huge knife and stabs Jones in the back. Scott and Jennifer rush out of the room while the killer tries unsuccessfully to remove the knife from his back, and it's a solid 10 seconds before either of them realizes they left the four-year-old girl in the room with the serial killer. Yep. <sighs> yeah. The second that they leave that room, I'm like, did they just leave the little Where's girl? Where's the kid? What? Mm-hmm. Did they? What? Why are you still running? They don't go back for her. Yeah. One of them tries to. Do, do they? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, so what happens here, Scott offers to go back because first Jennifer tries to go back and then Scott says, no, I'll get her. But as soon as he gets to the door, Jones's arm punches through it and he yanks Scott through the broken door frame and then slits his throat. So oh, now okay. he's dead. All right. Jennifer runs upstairs to Scott's room in the separate building and Jay follows her up here. I'm appreciating that for this whole third act, Jay still has this giant knife sticking out of his spine. <laughs> He starts fiddling with the handle of the door to the room where she's hiding, and she faints from terror inside. Yeah, this was very bizarre. I was not sure what was happening. I'm like, she's sitting there, like, trying to be super quiet like you do in horror films, like, covering her mouth, and then suddenly she just falls over. Right, but when she falls over, she falls over in the room, just on the other side of the locked door, right? That was no, because she goes into a closet. I don't think mm-hmm. she goes into that closet. No, she does. She, she goes into a closet and opens this tiny door, crawls yeah. in there, and then she's sitting there. And like, I don't even think he like. He doesn't even get into the room. He doesn't even get into the room before she passes out, and then it just like smash cuts back to daytime. Yeah, it's like, the next day. We're like, okay, what? Just I, you passed out, and he's gone. What happened? But in the morning, the same two cops are showing up at the ranch. One of them finds Gail's body and advises his partner to load his shotgun once he confirms Gail is dead. Aren't you supposed to load these things before you head out on patrol? Do you do, you um, do that like at the scene? Uh, that I could not say. I would say that the weapons are generally kept loaded and ready. I feel like David Allen Greer's shotgun was definitely loaded before the monkeys blew the top off of the car <laughs> in Jumanji. What year is it? It was brand new. <laughs> Back up in Scott's room, Jennifer climbs out of a crawl space that we haven't really established in this room. Like, she came here with Scott earlier, and he doesn't show her this crawl space. No, the fact that she opened the closet and randomly found a tiny door to crawl into. Yeah. yeah. As she tiptoes toward the room where she last saw Angel, she is suddenly tackled by Jay, who seems to have leaped out of the sky. And he's, yeah. he's still bleeding like crazy and laughing maniacally with this giant knife in his back. Like, in theory, because he's off screen and he jumps in, like, maybe he was in a tree. But how long have you been sitting in this freaking tree waiting yeah. for her to come out of a room you think yeah. she might have gone in? And where's Angel? Well, we'll find out. Jennifer screams as loud as she can to draw the police. The scream they use for Jennifer here gets replayed like seven or eight times mm-hmm. in the span of a minute. It's a very strange choice. <laughs> Oh, 
I hope so. Let's go do it. Even though we just watched him load it, the cop can't remember if his gun is loaded. And they arrive just in time to shoot and kill Jay. Jennifer is having a breakdown and can't understand what the police are trying to tell her that she's safe now. They put her in the squad car where she finds Angel in the back seat, <laughs> who they've apparently already collected and rescued. They mentioned something about how they found her just wandering down the street and they put her in the squad car before they got to the house even. And this kid that can only say... Uh, that she wants to go to the bathroom magically told them where she lives. Right. When two grown women couldn't find their way here. Right. The last shot of the film is on Jay's face as he lies dead on the ground when his eyes suddenly bulge open wide and it's clear that he's not done killing. Home sweet home. <laughs> our director here was Nettie Pena. Uh, I think this is our first female director for a horror film on the podcast. She also edited the film, but she does not have many credits. The writer, Thomas Bush, uh, this was his last writing credit. He does have some sound credits in the late 80s, but I'm tempted to suggest that those are someone else's credits that are misattributed to this guy because at the end of these credits, the film is dedicated to Thomas Bush's memory. Mm. So I think the screenwriter died before the movie was even made. Music by Richard Tufo. He's in the music department on this, Demented, and To All a Good Night which all came from executive producer Alex Rebar. EP Alex Rebar wrote Demented, and he also wrote To All a Good Night last year. He has a collaborating writer credit on Beyond the Door, which is another odd one you should look up if you haven't seen it. He also has a few acting credits, including the titular Incredible Melting Man. Cinematographer Don Stern is credited with Insert Photography on Wolfen later this year. Into the cast now, Jake Steinfeld played Jay Jones. Jake is the founder and CEO of Body by Jake, a world-famous fitness program. He worked as a personal trainer for Steven Spielberg and Harrison Ford in preparation for Temple of Doom and Last Crusade. Evidently, he led a sitcom in the early 90s called Big Brother Jake that ran for 81 episodes that I've never heard of. He was Wamba, (laughs) help me Wamba, in Cheech and Chong's next movie last year. He also provides the voices of the Farmyard Bully and Max the Bouncer in Rockadoodle, as well as that of Git, the huge bodybuilder-shaped rat in Pixar's Ratatouille. He's also the uncle of actress Haley Steinfeld. Hmm. Huh. So it's not a coincidence, the name. Vanessa Shaw played Angel Bradley. This was her first feature film. She shows up later in Ladybugs, but perhaps most famously as Allison Watts in Hocus Pocus. You're Thackeray Binks. Yes. So the legends are true. Well, come along. I almost met her uh, <laughs> at a screening of Hocus Pocus. Oh, really? Um, in, in 93? Or a n- no, more recent more, a more recent at the at the El Capitan. Oh, okay. Um, I was there, I think I was there with Amanda. Uh, and we're like looking at all the props and stuff, and, and there she is, and I believe that she was there with a ch- her child, but Aww. she was not there in any capacity as a representation of the movie. She yeah. was just she there, was to, just see there or... to see it. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, cool. And and we're looking over there and it's like, I think that's her. I think that's her. Well, she still works pretty regularly. Yeah. Um but uh you know, so But I'm sure she did not want to be bothered going yeah, to go see a I, movie with her child. I I, I, I know I know some people are, have like no qualms about going up to celebrities and saying, yeah. Oh yeah, hey, I love you. It's like whenever I see them like in a situation 
where they look like they're busy or yeah. like it's like yeah. I was like I, I I try to read the room, you know, and like yeah, I'm yeah. always pretty careful about it, but I usually end up bothering the person at least, <laughs> at least for like a handshake or something. I just be like, I'm a big fan of your work, like Malcolm McDowell at uh, Best Buy. Yes, like that. <laughs> hey, I mean, he's waiting in line. What's he gonna do? Run away because you're just scary. <laughs> just runs yeah. for it. <laughs> like, I just watch all the Best Buy employees tackle him at the door because <laughs> he's got a him. television. Tackle you, you crazy podcaster trying to talk to people. Vanessa Shaw was cast by Stanley Kubrick in Eyes Wide Shut. She also shows up in Corky Romano, 40 Days and 40 Nights, Melinda and Melinda, and then remakes of The Hills Have Eyes and 310 to Yuma. More recently, she has finished up a 10-episode run as Kate McPherson on Ray Donovan. Peter DePaula played Mistake Bradley. His only other credits were talk show appearances as a magician and as a mime on the Wonder Woman TV show. <laughs> okay. I knew it. <laughs> so he is legit a mime slash magician character. Uh, Don <laughs> Edmonds played Harold Bradley. He was the producer on True Romance and this, which explains why he gets to make out with a topless lady. Uh He's also the producer on Beyond Evil, which will catch on its 41st anniversary this year. He also directed Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS, which was barely parodied by Rob Zombie as the trailer Werewolf Women of the SS in the Rodriguez-Tarantino Grindhouse double feature. And he also directed the sequel to Ilsa, Ilsa, Harem Keeper of the Oil Sheiks. (laughs) (laughs) Those are all the credits I have for this film. Um... I think this is a down for me, actually. It's awful. I literally had to break this into four sittings to watch this. And I still think I missed like 20 minutes in the middle because I was just not paying attention. It was so, so hard to watch. It's really dark. Mm -hmm. Um, It's hard to make out what's happening on top of just not being an interesting story. Like, it's rare that there's a story like this where I'm like, I wanted more exposition. Because I don't know who anyone is in yeah. relation to each other, and I and I'm having to pay very close attention to the dialogue, which is terrible. Yeah. To piece together what these people are to each piece other. Piece together. Uh, where are the Where's peas? the peas? <laughs> where are the peas? There are too many characters. There are too many characters in this movie. Too many cars. Like too many cars that all have different problems. Yeah. And- it would make sense if Jay fucked all these cars up. But that's not what no, happened. No. They're all broken in different ways but, before he gets there. Yeah, but he's exactly. totally unmotivated in any of these killings, except in so much as I would say the old lady, he's clearly high when he hits her on the and and, and aside from that one, I'm like, maybe he's high for these, but he's being real real calculated about all this stuff. And the only other motivation we have is that he escaped from a mental institution. Like, just, yeah. he's crazy. That's yeah. all you need to be uh, to kill people. He's crazy, crazy and on drugs. Also, it, it, the, the the plot line is that he was a kid who killed his parents? I don't know. He was a person who killed his okay. parents. He because, might have been an adult. It because, might have been like a fade to black situation where they were trying to get him out of the house and he pushed them down some stairs. Okay, because if I have this guy in custody at a mental institution, I would not allow him so much access to a gym to become yeah, so physically ripped. large. Yeah. I was like, maybe this is not a good he idea. He didn't have for a gym. He had bodies by Jake. Oh, that's yeah. true. <laughs> but, but it's like, he's clearly, he's clearly like getting high protein. Yeah. And like, yeah. like, he, like they, if they're giving him access to all that stuff at the, at the mental institution, then they had it coming. Yeah. This, <laughs> this was really their bad. It's like having like a archery day or, unless or he's only been training. there for a couple minutes. Like he, he yeah. literally just checked in a month ago for a mental institution. We go through a lot of whey powder. Yeah. <laughs> 
why do we keep buying that stuff? Um, I think what makes this fun and funny is that it's the guy from Bodies by Jake, um, which, I mean, there's some celebrity status there, even though he is not a fan of this film and will not talk about it uh, in any interviews. Um, I like that Vanessa Shaw is in here. Uh, as this child character, even though she didn't act again for like eight years after this, mm-hmm. uh, before she started her career in earnest. But nobody else here is a worthwhile performer. Uh, I actually really like the way that he's playing this psychopath with the the laughter, even though it seems ADR'd. Yeah. Um, yeah. I just like uh, for someone to commit completely 150% to, I'm just a crazy person. I'm just going <laughs> to laugh like a scary, insane person for yeah. every time I'm on camera. And uh, he has such weird control over his body when he's like, he's like flopping over and throwing things and like almost falling over backwards when he's stepping away from people. He just uh, has these really weird motions. But beyond that, it's a very generic story. Um, none of the characters make a lot of sense. And the kills are pretty boring. Yeah, with the exception of the electric guitar kill, which was like very inventive. Yeah, like I was like, okay, it had a visual aspect of the the the, the glowing. There, there, there's something that it adds something when you have like that kind of like visual force more than just being stabbed. Yeah, or smashed with a car hood. Yeah, like, I did not see the electricity thing coming, and I feel like I haven't seen someone do something like that before. Yeah. Yeah, where you it's see the so electricity goddamn dangerous yeah that's just true probably hooked up a transformer to a wire until it glowed like don't mm-hmm. put yeah. that near an actor yeah um they were they were willing to risk this person <laughs> still though i think letterbox this probably goes on top for me it goes on bottom for me oh really mm-hmm. what about you uh this is the first movie of the year <laughs> okay <laughs> um this goes right in the middle then uh, it's right in the middle between <laughs> oh wow uh, v- okay. v- like, as far as your guys's go in the middle between the top and the bottom for me <laughs> uh yeah the, uh, we're putting it in the same place because there's only this is the first movie of the year and uh we have 178 titles to go oh god so there's a lot of work to be done but it's all uphill from here i can't imagine this here. will be <laughs> above my bottom 10 or 20 by the end of the year i feel like i can tell you with fair certainty that this is not going to climb a lot i'm not going to stuff a lot underneath this one i hope (laughs) (laughs) unless i pack the list way too tight this year and there's a lot of real garbage although i i think uh spoiler alert our second movie might be right below this one but um (laughs) but uh yeah I think that's everything for Home Sweet Home. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share with us, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. Please consider rating us on iTunes to help people find the show. And if you take the time to leave us a review, we will thank you personally in an upcoming episode. Because this is our first episode of the month again, I wanted to remind our listeners about our Patreon campaign. Vintage Video will always be free to listen to. But if it's worth it to you, a donation as small as a buck a month is greatly appreciated. We've been doing the show for a year now, and this is our 169th episode. This year we'll be averaging 8-ish titles a month. We also offer a $5 tier, which includes a shout-out on the show, a monthly exclusive episode reviewing a title from the 70s, and a hand in choosing each month's film. As an added bonus, this year we are starting to fill in some blanks from last year with about 20 minisodes reviewing titles that didn't quite make the cut from 1980. We've recorded 12 50th anniversary episodes so far, and for February, our $5 patrons are choosing between the following six titles. Cold Turkey, 
Written and directed by Norman Lear, Cold Turkey tells the story of an entire town offered a $25 million reward if they can quit smoking cold turkey for 30 days together and the hijinks that ensue. It stars Dick Van Dyke, Bob Newhart, and Pippa Scott. Little Murders, a black comedy adapted by Popeye screenwriter Jules Pfeiffer from his own play and directed by Alan Arkin. Little Murders is about a boyfriend meeting his girlfriend's dysfunctional family amidst a citywide garbage strike, electrical outages, and a series of random shootings. It stars Elliot Gould, Marsha Rod, Vincent Gardenia, Donald Sutherland, Doris Roberts, Lou Jacoby, and Arkin himself. How to Frame a Fig Alan Rifkin's comedy about a bungling assistant bookkeeper played by Don Knotts being framed for embezzlement. Though predominantly a sitcom director, Rifkin had previously directed Knotts for The Ghost in Mr. Chicken and The Shakiest Gun in the West. The Pursuit of Happiness, a drama from To Kill a Mockingbird director Robert Mulligan about a student on the run from the law to avoid serving time for vehicular manslaughter. It stars Michael Sarazin and Barbara Hershey. Taking Off, the debut American film of director Milos Forman, a comedy about a New York couple whose daughter runs away, forcing them to team up with the parents of other vanished teens and teach each other youth culture to track them down. It stars Lynn Carlin, Buck Henry, Vincent Schiavelli, Ike and Tina Turner, Carly Simon, Kathy Bates, and Jessica Harper. And finally, This Stuff Will Kill Ya, Herschel Gordon Lewis's crime drama about a bootlegger con man posing as a preacher in a southern town and clashing with the law and locals each of which will be celebrating their 50th anniversaries this coming February. If this sounds like something you'd be interested in, you can find our campaign at patreon.com slash vintagevideopodcast. If not, I hope you'll at least do us the honor of continuing to listen. And I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing Scream. No, not that Scream. Unless you meant the 1981 Scream. Yeah. In which case, yep, that's the one which IMDb describes like so. A group of friends on a rafting trip down a river stop in an old ghost town to spend the night soon their rafts disappear and then they begin to be eliminated one by one by a mysterious killer we leave you now with the trailer for scream no not that scream unless the scream you were thinking of was from 1981 it began as the perfect weekend vacation spend the night in a ghost town what could possibly go wrong? It was great fun until the nightmare began. Then you can't run. You can't hide. You cannot escape. And you never look back. Because someone or something is waiting for you. Watching. Trust no one, because no one comes out of this town alive. Is it haunted? Or is it one of their own gone mad? will bring you right out of your seat. But whatever you do, don't scream. Coming to this theater, rated R.